0: Welcome to Mo Man Talk. I am your co-host, Shisa Moore. For today's guest, we have Lang Sheng. This gentleman used to work in the automotive field for a good amount of years, and then left the industry, and now move on into the IT department. He's been doing that for about 10 years. And now, he left that too. He's actually self-employed, and he's on the other line, um and he wants to express about what it is to reflect about being a moan man so stay tuned to the very end but first let's thank our sponsors today's sponsor is brought to you by shiso's menswear are you looking for the latest trendy men's fashion look no further shiso's menswear carries handcrafted bow ties ties suit accessories and everyday streetwear. they're your one-stop moan inspired men's shop you can search them online at www.shiso's X-I-X-O-Menswear.com. We are super excited today, guys. Uh, For those who are listening, we have a gentleman uh, named Lang Shong. He's on the other side. And today's topic, we're talking about defining a home man. There's a lot to talk about this subject. I'm super excited to hear what he has to say. Um, On top of that, dude, it's your birthday. You're 32, man. Happy birthday.
1: Yes, sir. Let's go Virgos, man. I'll tell you right now. Uh, I was just on my Facebook feed and I got like 10 different individuals who have the same birthday as me. Fun fact. Uh, if you, if you, you know, count back nine months, what day is it?
0: I am you to get your math. Oh yeah, it is new year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what it's all about. Man. It's kind of funny how that works.
0: 32 already. Uh, yes, you're, sir. you're pondering out there in the uh, twin city. And uh, unemployed, am I correct?
1: I am unemployed for four months. Yes, sir. May sixteenth was my last day of uh, official corporate employment.
0: Uh, We'll definitely get into that in uh, in the questioning. So stay tuned, listeners, because we're going to delve diaper why this gentleman is unemployed and and has a different path. But let's start this off, man. Uh, You mentioned you care for your younger brother who has schizophrenia what can you tell us about that experience
1: yeah uh, my little brother was uh, diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia about uh, I'd say 2011 and uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't exactly paranoia that everybody uh, uh, thought it would be and I, I I had to take care of him because he was so such a wild animal. And, and I'm going to stick to that term throughout this interview that he was all over the place and they couldn't handle him.
0: So you're saying as in, wild, as in physically and mentally and verbally.
1: Well, what happens when you catch a wild animal in a cage? I mean, they literally.
0: Yeah. They're going to, you know, yeah, do what their, their will to get out of there and scream and shout and, kick and scream right
1: yeah and, and and i know that when as we we as millennials growing up our parents trapped a lot of wild animal animals in cages because um they used to eat our garbage they used to go through our you know our, our garden and all that stuff and the second that they get trapped and we would approach them they would boom, 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 boom hit every single wall that was available to them trying to escape not knowing that those walls were there but truly knowing that they were trapped, but it didn't matter because they were trapped.
0: Now, can you tell a little more experience about your little brother? Same
1: Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, let me tell you this. If you went up to your family members and said, hey, something's happening. And the immediate response is, you're crazy. And then you go to the next family member and they say, you're nuts. And then you go to the next family member and eventually you go to every single family member and they say the same thing to you. How would you feel? I mean, you would be alone.
0: Now you're I, in the dark. I see. I mean, in translation is VU, right? And in, in the native tongue, they, they call it that or, and, but yeah, it's translated to crazy.
1: Right. And, 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 you know, now no one's listening to you and you're by yourself because you've already tried to tell them nicely, right? You, you, you've gone up to them and said, hey, something's going on. Something's happening. I feel this. I feel that. I feel this. And regardless of the way that you present it, whether or not it's, hey, something's happening, blah, 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 or, hey, can I talk to you? Can I tell you something? I'd like to uh, share my feelings with you it doesn't matter how you tell it the second that that person shuts down and tells you that you're nuts with that look on their face that that evil look that says you no i'm done and they turn around and go away and then you go to the next person and next person and next person and you're alone
0: and being and being your little brother and you being the bigger brother you noticed that and you were helping him and whatever you can. So he's not alone. That correct.
1: At the time he didn't live with me and I didn't know that he was going through this. Um, I did hear about it and it was tough because he just had a divorce. He just went through a divorce and I picked him up at the airport and I dropped him off at my parents' house at the time. I was staying on my own. I had my own house, uh, doing my own thing. Uh, I'm not married. I've never been married, but, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. And I've been in IT for over 10 years. And, you know, I love my little brother, but at the time, I knew he was going through a hard time. I didn't know how hard it was. What I didn't know that when he was away uh, in during his marriage, he had manifested. Uh, when I say manifested, he was able to uh process his thoughts at a extremely fast rate and when i say extremely fast he was smart this guy knew his stuff i mean he could add and he could subtract and he could do multiplications algorithms all that stuff in the blink of an eye
0: Seem like he's not that crazy then
1: you would think I didn't know that until the aftermath.
0: Explain the aftermath. <laughs> uh,
1: he in two thousand twelve he kept he came across a a data point a platform a a spying software so to speak that he found. And everyone thought he was nuts. He would go up to our family members and say, hey, the government's listening to us. The government's gathering data. The government's doing this. They're listening to us. They're listening to us. And yeah, he didn't really approach it in the sense where, you know, he didn't raise alarms, but he did raise alarms. And he was scared. He was truly afraid. He was so afraid that, He had to tell someone, but he knew he was gonna be crazy. So, But he had to tell someone and he knew he was gonna sound crazy, but he had to tell, and he didn't know how to address it. So what do you do when you can't understand and address something that you are afraid of? You drink, you smoke, you do drugs, you try to bury it as deep as you can in in your soul, in your heart. You go as far as you can to hold it in. But eventually, It comes out. And uh, he eventually, when he came out and told the family, he went up to my brother because he used to live with my brother. And he said, hey, brother, did you know that the federal government is watching us? Did you know that they're listening into our every data point? Did you know that they're gathering data? Did you know that there's algorithm? Did you know that whatever you say on your phone, they're listening to us? Did you know that? And he's like, okay, fine. And he gave up right away because he knew he sounded crazy. So he went to the next person, my other sibling, my sister said the same thing. Did you know that the federal government is watching us? Did you know that they're collecting data? Did you know that everything you say will pop up every time you go on Facebook? Did you know that? My sister would say the same thing and eventually he would go to my cousins You know, there's, I have half a dozen cousins, even plus some, I have over seven uncles. And eventually, after he made his entire rounds, he was labeled absolutely crazy
0: by the family. Did you, in your right mind, be like, you know what? All right. I believe you, but prove it.
1: No. When he came up to me, I was already notified about it, you know. The, the the noise had been already been so loud that, hey, stay away from the gang. He's crazy. You know, we're going to take him to the institution because he thinks that the federal government is spying on him, on us. That was his goal, too, because he didn't know how to address it. He couldn't handle the pressure. He couldn't handle what he had found. And he was put into... um He went went and put himself into the emergency room. He hurt himself. He, He actually went out and, you know, put a big gash in himself just so that he can go into the emergency room to get other people's attention. Well, when he got in there, the doctor labeled him insane. And the second that you get that label on you, it's over. I, you know, when you get that label of insanity put onto your record, you're insane. You're insane for life. You will always be put into that mental scenario. You will always be put into that category, and you will never be looked at the same again. It was after that that I found him. Completely after that, that when they let finally let him out, I said, "Hey, you okay?" And I didn't understand it myself because I was like, dude, I haven't seen you in forever since I dropped you off from the airport. And this was probably like six months to seven months later. I picked him up from the hospital. I took him back to my parents' house. And at that time, my parents didn't want nothing to do with him. Um, he was, uh, you know, he was lost. He was alone. He was very alone. No one believed him and not even his own family. He had nobody. And he would throw tantrums. You know, he would drink because he was so scared all the time. He felt these noises. He, he heard these sounds. He, he, he kept writing these algorithms and these, these, you know, nonprofit organizations that, that would make hundreds and millions of dollars a year that no one believed like how does a mong american partnership make 50 million dollars in assets a year how do they even have that to begin with how does nexus have 80 to 83 million dollars a year in revenue how does that even work i didn't believe him at the time either and he kept just he had this huge journal of just nonprofits making hundreds of millions of dollars and no one believed him no one not one person and you know for me i didn't understand it at the time but i felt for him he was my brother i didn't want him to uh i didn't want i didn't want him to hurt for me i just saw my little brother
0: now does now has that life experience changed your attitude about life and if so in what way
1: <laughs> yeah it has Um, you know, I'm fast forwarding quite a bit, but five years later, I found his journal and I read it and I was like, and I did my research. I did my Googling and, uh, yeah, everything he had in that journal was right. Every single thing he found Facebook's algorithm of data collecting. You remember when Mark Zuckerberg was in front of the Senate saying, hey, were you selling people's data in front of uh, – selling people's data to other companies? Do you remember that? hmm He found that algorithm within Facebook. He found the source code. And that's what he thought it was the federal government, but it wasn't. It was Mark Zuckerberg. And he found it well before the Senate even came across it he did his own research he was just so in tuned with what was going on but he could not explain it because he could not he could write he could write all day long he could sing he could typing he could do keyboard he could do all that stuff but he could not talk it just wasn't his thing he was not an extrovert he was an introvert
0: It seemed it, it changed you a little bit from learning from him, or maybe a lot?
1: Yeah. It, it, it uh, throughout that process, he would, you know, before he actually got committed, you know, internalized in that stupid mental society that we have here in Minnesota and in the United States, before he even went in there, I spent countless sleepless nights with him just listening to him but not really listening at all because I was ignorant such an idiot because I thought he was crazy too I didn't believe it at the time and but I know how I knew how he felt he was alone he was sporadic for a reason he there's there's got to be a reason why people act the way they do and that's how I understand it you know people just don't get crazy for no reason so i stayed up with him long sleepless nights you know 16 hours at a time 24-hour days i would go to work i worked at discount tire at the time i was an auto mechanic those long winter days 12 hours sometimes 16-hour days i come home and i would stay up with him all night he would punch walls there'd be holes all over the place he would headbutt walls Because he was just so bonkers, the fact that people just didn't listen to him, knowing what he knew. But I didn't listen to him either. But I still took the time to just sit there and stayed awake with him. And it it changed me, yes, it did. But not until I opened up his notebook six months ago.
0: That's, a, that's when it really just opened your eyes and you could read what's in his mind because, again, he didn't speak, but he could, he could write. And you read, I'm assuming it's got to be a, a novel by then.
1: It, it, you know, <laughs> it wasn't really a novel. It was just data, data, mm-hmm. data, data. And I'm an IT guy. I've been in IT for over 10 years. I know what data looks like, but this guy, it wasn't a spreadsheet. It's just numbers. It had names, numbers, and uh, salaries. That's it. I mean, plain as day, you know, organization, name, salary, organization, uh, uh, annual, annual revenue. Yeah.
0: Now, let's move on into more of the Hmong culture. And let me ask you about this. The monk culture has always held their son or men in high regards compared to women. How do you feel about that?
1: High regards in terms of education or in terms of following the shaman tradition.
0: Overall, whether you are shaman or Christian or education.
1: I think that's BS. I mean, in terms of high regard no in terms of expectation yeah expectations so that they can go around and tell people that oh kapagod master degree or you know kapagod whatever it's selfish completely selfish you know the college degree the American dream completely wrong. I don't blame them though, because who taught them that? TV, media.
0: From what you're saying, it seemed like just a bragging rights. It doesn't matter what culture you're in.
1: Yeah, it is. Absolutely bragging rights. Just for the fact that I can say where my parents can say, hey, you know what? I didn't get my GED until the age of 25. I got into IT at the age of 21. I left my last job as an IT network systems administrator. I worked alongside those college degree folks. i can tell you right now, Hmm. They, <laughs> they ain't no smarter than me.
0: So, in translation, you're—it's saying that, you know, as a parent, oh, look at my son or daughter—he went to Harvard and now he's a, a lawyer at some high-paying job. Again, just a bragging rights And uh, now you're bragging working bragging. side by side. You're working side by side with these men or women.
1: And I'm I, I, and I'm the idiot.
0: So they think.
1: Yeah, or they perceive, right? Perceive.
0: Now, can you agree that the way of thinking has shifted lately to where some male men are starting to align themselves with that of their opposite gender?
1: Opposite gender in terms of male and female and in the same age group? Correct. Women hate me. Why? I have no idea. You know, I I, I I shouldn't be calling out names, but, you know, Samantha Vang, House Representative, Brooklyn Center, she's my constituent. I'm outspoken. I'm an outspoken Hmong male, yet she thinks I'm the same dominant, quote-unquote, uh, Hmong male that she experiences on a day-to-day life or whatever. I've scheduled several appointments with her and I've tried to work with her great assistant Josh but not nothing she has yet to dedicate some time with me yes she has tried to reschedule yes she has tried to work around her schedule but you know when you reschedule four times I believe when you're trying to follow the chain of commands in terms of trying to address a mental health institution within the economy you know four times is way more than enough. You got to move on. You got to go above her.
0: Now, with, with being the opposite gender, having a, you know, higher degree of some sort, do you think that among men like yourself are planning to get a degree to match that too then?
1: Should I, or are you asking? You
0: I'm know, asking you, to- should I? Does it matter? No.
1: Auto-detective learning is the only way to do it. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The Mormon church, (laughs) you you know, uh, the Mormon church, they send their youth or their young adults on a two year mission. Their mission is to travel whatever state that they're in and preach the word of God. What better way to learn than quantitative gathering? And I'm not a Mormon church guy. I'm not a, you know, I don't believe that there was a prophet. I don't believe in the golden tablets. I do believe in spirituality. But the reason why the Mormon church does it in that aspect is because the only way to learn is through experience. Now, education is great. I would never knock on college education ever. But I'm going to knock on the fact that If you go and accumulate $60,000 in debt and you cannot get rid of it, even through bankruptcy, that is a trap. And you go back down to where my brother was in the cage and exactly where we started with as a wild animal trapped in a freaking cage because you're trapped with that goddamn debt for the rest of your life. And there's no way of getting rid of it. And that interest just keeps building and building and building.
0: Now, you know, having that being said and being debt being built and, you know, I kind of want to dig deeper back to you, man. In the monk culture, the man is usually viewed as the head of a household to lead, be the breadwinner. In recent months, you said you've been unemployed. How do you uh, stay afloat, you know, with the cash flow and at least pay for rent?
1: i'm gonna tell you the truth that breadwinner term does not pertain to me by the way because breadwinner requires you to have a family i don't have any kids nor do i have a wife and i only want to state that because uh that definition doesn't portray to me but if i was going to answer the question of how do i keep going i own my own house yes i do pay a mortgage i have my car payments and uh that's about it, you know. My cell phone bill. You got. I got rid of cable. Why pay a double whammy on cable when you can have your cell phone hotspot? I learned that through this. How am I getting? Uh, how am I living my life today? Uh, is the question at hand. Unemployment, mm-hmm. welfare. It's there. Yeah, it sucks, but it's working. I'm able to pay my car uh, payment. I'm not able to pay my mortgage, but there's something called a forbearance. There's something called a loan modification. And I've only been out of a job for about five months. I've got about six more months until my official uh, my official date of the sheriff coming and kicking me out. I don't believe I'm going to be broke for that long. And quite frankly, I'm happier than I was when I was at work, working 12-hour days as a network systems administrator.
0: With six months coming fairly quick, how do you stay afloat and not allow that bump of the road to shame you or cause you to act negatively towards your, your friend, your spouse, or yourself, or your peers? I help other That's people. Simple. Because
1: in every person, I found that when I help people, it grows me. It manifests something else in me. It, it, it connects more manifestations in my mind. It helps me grow as a person and it helps me learn. Autodidactive learning. Um, it feels good too. <laughs> it, it feels great. I've you know, when I started, when I left my last job, not intentionally, by the way, I got fired and immediately I started just investigating these groups, investigating these nonprofits and, and, and I thought they were there for good because nonprofits are charitable organizations. They're supposed to be there to serve the community. Well, when I went there and I said, Hey, how can I help? Or, Hey, how can you help me? Disqualify me? Why? Because I was a middle-aged man with property. I owned property, and that immediately disqualified me. And I thought about it. I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" If you guys treat me that way, I wonder how you guys treat the young women. God, they not one person in those nonprofits could answer that question. I can handle myself. Not saying that the women can't, but holy cow!
0: Now that goes into the episode topic of defining a Hmong man. We get question asked about this all the time. What is it to be a Hmong man?
1: You, you want the Hmong side or you want the, uh, the, uh, the outside side? You know, there's two views on this. There's the, you know, white side, I guess. I call it quote unquote professional side where they want to go in and be part of the economy or the mom side where they're kind of trapped in that revolving door of drinking every day. Yes, I said every day. And, you know, just getting drunk drama and then fighting and coming back and then fighting and then coming back and spending more money and doing it all over again, every single weekend, just so that they can have a sense of belonging. Which one?
0: both give me both
1: <laughs> in middle school i struggled with this i have over seven uncles and you can just about imagine how many cousins i have male and female i'll tell you right now uh i struggled i went to a white school sandberg middle school sandberg lions guys woo whoop and uh I I grew up with white people, but I hung out with my Hmong folks because there were eight Hmong people in a school of 300. And we stood by each other, of course, like we always do. And white people were mean. You know, every time something happened and my Hmong folks would get punked, I would be the one silently and quietly when the bell rang to punk them after the fact and say, hey, stop messing with us because... You're going to get messed up. That's how I grew up growing up. I would bully the bullies because I didn't like, I didn't like bullies. I hate, I still do today. And eventually they found value in me, my, my fellow white folk. And we became friends and growing from there, I started to go over to their house. I started to hang out have sleepovers mom people don't have sleepovers with white people who does me bro and my cousins would be like hey (laughs) you know i was 12 13 maybe years old and they would say hey you know where you where'd you go this week Where you hanging out with and i come back and i have that white accent i would not be talking on ghetto and all that stuff like using the n-word using you know k-tone cuz you know those all all those uh (laughs) songs that were going on at the time I was over there watching Mr. Bean with you know Josh Smith was my best friend at the time it's kind of funny now that I think about it in kindergarten my best friend was Chris Smith and then in middle school I had a good friend best friend named Josh Smith now that I think about it it's uh Smith is a very common Minnesota name but uh yeah that's how I grew up but yet when I came home I had a plethora of Hmong cousins that heard my accent, my proper professional accent, not a white accent, but the accent. I knew who I was. I didn't have an issue with my internalized Mr. Lang Zhang, but I had to pick. Eventually they started to bully me the same way the white people bullied me back in middle school. And now I had to choose either Check my cousins that I was born with, you know, or become my friend, and they were already my friends. So there was only one choice. Stuff, and of course they challenged me back. Like, what? You think you hard now because you white? What's up, white boy? And of course it's me against the world at that time, because there's more of them than me. So I had to pick. And to my Hmong women, I'm sorry because I know how you feel. You want a sense of belonging. You want to belong to the monk community. But you also want to succeed. Because you know that if you go back to the monk community, you will fail horribly as a person. And you don't want to be drunk every weekend. You don't want to party the way they do. Because you want to go and read books. You want to go and, you know, watch Mr. Bean. You want to go and uh, just chill, play cards. And you're stuck in the middle, and now you're, you need a sense of belonging, and you have none of it. What do you do? That's when mental health really kicks in. That's when you go crazy is when you're lost.
0: Now, I want to ask you one more thing, um, Lang. Can you give me your definition? of a Hmong man today, like empowering your expectation, what you see, what you believe.
1: You know, being a Hmong man today, you know, it, it takes me back to going to a funeral home in Lacrosse. You know, you you go into a funeral home and, and what's the first thing you do? You look around and you see a bunch of old people. You don't You don't really feel comfortable because it's kind of awkward at the moment. You don't know anybody. You know, you go to the cafeteria, you sit down, and there's usually a bunch of guys either playing cards and talking and eating. You know, and and the first thing you hear is them bragging about bragging about how they did this and that to that girl, how Maulia she was. And, And and it's just disgusting. And those are the older folks. Now, my peers, my 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 same age groups, my my my, you know, th- those those uh, age demographics that are the same as me here, they brag about how they go to these massage parlors and pay one hundred and fifty bucks and and how they had the experience of a lifetime. And it just disgusts me. And I can't relate to that. I don't speak to that. It's just, how do you find women so objective in that way? What does it say about you as a man? And it tells me that you're disgusting. Now, is that the regular man? No, there are other men out there that respect women, yes. But that's my experience. And, and, and what does it mean to be among men? Well, for me, I don't want anything to do with the Hmong man at all. I see, hey, can you drink? Can you slam this beer? Can you slam two beers? Can you do a beer bong with just three beers? Can you take this shot? Can you slam this can if not, you're weak. And if you can, you end up getting gout. And when you have gout, it hurts, it sucks. Absolutely sucks. And the only way to cure it is yoga. Oh, wait, but yoga is a women's thing. Meditation is scary or, or or weird or you're mentally crazy. And then you get labeled crazy. And then now you just end up going back to being a drunk. So that's what my uh, definition of being a monk guy is today is, is drunk, gout-ridden person who goes 9 to 5 every week.
0: Now seem like that is your definition it. Now what about you? Do you drink? I drink
1: I, I I drink uh I drink for the oh boy. I, I drink for the word of liking so- the taste. I'm a whiskey guy. I, I like to hey, so,
0: sip. So like social?
1: Not even social. It's just a taste. I don't like the feel. I hate having a migraine. Because every, every time I, I drink, I have a freaking migraine. It sucks. No.
0: I, I mean, love, I I love mean, everybody has the right to have fun. Some take it way too overboard. Right. But how are you as a Hmong man today? Are you out there empowering other Hmong men? No. And preaching it. I'm, I'm power- helping it.
1: I'm, empower- I'm empowering them through social media by saying, hey, look at me. Here's my face. I don't care what I say. I don't care how I look. Nor do I care how I sound. Done. Simple as that. Because among men want to do it, they want to be seen, they want to be heard, but they're afraid. That their peers, their cousins, their Hmong fellow Hmong people. What the hell are you doing on Facebook all the time? I had to alienate myself from my entire core Hmong belonging, Hmong culture, to be able to become who I am today. Am I happy? I'm happier than I've ever been. You can too, everyone who's listening. Get away from that toxicity. Yuck. Disgusting. Is it lonely? No, it's not. You will not believe the positive inspiration that I get every day from these uh, messages that I get. Yeah, at first, in the beginning, initially, there were haters. But I'm telling you, guys, I've got more messages and Messenger and Facebook than I can keep up with. Positive stuff, by the way. Love it. I absolutely love it. Every bit of it.
0: Can you share at least one of a positive note you got? <laughs>
1: yeah. Keep doing what you're doing, man. We keep inspiring others. Keep just keep doing you because we love it and and we see it.
0: And this is the last parting uh words you would like to give to our audience
1: perspective guys stop looking at yourself through other people's eyes and look at yourself through your own eyes look in the mirror guys i know how you feel i know that you don't have a mirror in your room for a reason you don't want to look at yourself. You don't. I know how it feels. I didn't have a mirror until uh, up until four months ago. And I realized at that time when I did finally get a mirror, I got four mirrors. And I sat in front of them every single morning and every single night just staring at myself. At my face because I was so disgusted prior to that day by just looking at my face because I didn't look at myself through my own eyes. I looked at myself through other people's eyes and that is the most damaging thing you can do to yourself because you are beautiful in every way. And don't believe what other people say. Don't even care what they think, it's the thoughts. that's uh, that's emanating from their minds that is affecting you negatively, that is keeping you in that manufacturing production facility that is limiting your minds because we are all smart in our own ways. You just got to wake up and leave that group and find yourself because that sense of belonging is wrong. You don't need it. You can find yourself out there, and there are plenty of people like us plenty and trust your gut your gut means everything
0: well thank you so much lang and happy birthday thank you thank so you. much brother
1: i'm honored to have to be on the show thank you very much i've never been on a radio show before in my life i've been in radio but i've never been recorded thank
0: you awesome you have a good night man you too man well that's a wrap thank you again lang Uh, What a great reflection and explain us to our listeners. If you haven't yet, check out our website at www.momentalk.com or like and share us on Facebook at Momentalk. And last, let's thank our sponsors.
1: A life insurance consultant who also believes in building family values. She believes not only investing in your future, but also investing in your present moment, creating Time and memories with your family. If you have any insurance needs or any questions, please don't hesitate to call her at the link below.
0: Also, a special thanks to DJ Peter for using his beats. You can check him out at YouTube.